Well, good morning. Welcome to Redeemer Church. I'm Pastor Tim Trometer. So good to see all of you here this morning. We're one church meeting in two locations, and our mission and ministry is to connect people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. It's why we exist. Well, today we close our current teaching series, Acts to the Ends of the Earth. And over the last eight weeks, we've been looking at key stories in the early church and how the Holy Spirit caused explosive growth. And today, we're going to end the series by looking at some of the characteristics of the strong churches that Paul established on his missionary journeys. Today, it not only ends the teaching series, though, but it's also a defining moment in the life of the St. John's campus. It truly is. Why is it a defining moment in the life of the St. John's campus, you ask? I'm glad you asked this morning. Because today marks the, first, the final day of our first year together at the St. John's campus. Did you know that? It's June 30th. So tomorrow is the first day of year two. And while it may feel like nothing has happened here to some of you and like everything has changed for some of you, after today, our first year is officially over. My prayer for all of us is that we will round out this series on Acts and finish out our first year together, and that you will join me in putting the past behind us and stepping boldly into the future that God has set before us. Let's pray together this morning. Holy God, whose voice is heard in the thunder and in the silence, speak to us now by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may hear your word for us today. It's in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ, that we pray. And everyone said, Amen. After Moana returns the heart of Tafiti, her quest finally comes to an end in the movie. All that's left is for her to say goodbye to Maui and return home. Or is her journey just beginning? Let's take a look. Moana went on the adventure of her lifetime, but she finds her journey is just beginning. In the words of J.R.R. Tolkien's epic, The Hobbit, one of my favorite books, the greatest adventure is what lies ahead. Today and tomorrow are yet to be said. The chances, the changes are yours to make. The mold of your life is in your hands to break. Over the last eight weeks, we've explored the foundational stories of the early church and that we found in the book of Acts, and, and we've centered this series on the Jesus calling in Acts 1.8 that says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit would empower them. Then he set the standard for how the church would thrive through the power of the Holy Spirit. And throughout history, when the organized church has lived into this directive, the body of Christ has thrived. Now, to be a witness in Jerusalem means to develop the center of the faith community as Jerusalem was the center of the Jewish worship. Our mission field starts right here at the St. John's campus. This is where we begin. 
This is our Jerusalem. And then we're to witness to Judea, which is the area surrounding Jerusalem. And we've identified that surrounding area for us as the St. John's Public School District. That's our surrounding area. Next, Jesus instructs his followers to witness to Samaria. And Samaritans were outcasts, the marginalized of society in their day. They were the people who didn't worship in the right way. They were the people who didn't live by the correct values according to the Jews. And so the question is, who in our community falls into this category? Lastly, we're called to witness to the ends of the earth through our national and international missions. So here's my paraphrase of Acts 1.8. We will receive power through the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and we will be Jesus' witnesses, telling people about him everywhere we go, first by living out our faith here at the St. John's campus. We will then embody our belief in our relationships in the St. John's community. Next, we will share our faith story with the marginalized in our society here in St. John's building new relationships with our neighbors because what unites us is more powerful than what divides us. And finally, we will continue to live out that calling until our witness expands to the ends of the earth. Becoming this kind of church is not a turnkey operation. There's no silver bullet, no magic pill that we swallow that all of a sudden makes this happen. It's going to take years of hard work and dedication. And as as the stories from Acts demonstrate to us, it's going to require a willingness to give of ourselves for the sake of God's kingdom. It means taking to heart both the great commandment to love people and the great commission to see all people come to faith in Christ and grow into mature followers of Christ. It requires a, a very challenging balance. And honestly, a constant tension. And some, something that, that tension is something that many have already felt, and some have expressed, and a few have even shared with me this tension. We continue to grow together as mature followers of Jesus Christ at the t- same time that we grow outward into the world. And that is a constant tension in the church. On the one hand, we develop as the body of Christ, and on the other, we reach out into the world. And the tension is the feeling that sometimes the internal development is lost for the sake of the external development of the church. Or vice versa, that the external development is lost for the sake of the internal development. But these are two sides of the same coin, and we have to have both. They both, they both must exist, but they exist in tension to each other. One always desires priority over the other. And this is where many have felt tension over the last year and where fear often rises when we talk about changes in the church, that we'll lose something in the process. But we must do both, grow, to grow outward and together simultaneously. So today we wrap up this series by looking at three passages from the latter part of Acts. Um, The remainder of Acts is dedicated to Paul's missionary journeys. And Paul took and went out and he planted these churches. Um, Paul didn't stay in one place for too long. He just stayed long enough to build and plant these strong churches that had the potential and ability to change the world. And that's what we must do here as well. Build a church 
that is strong enough to make a difference here in St. John's. To make a difference. And I believe that we are well on our way to doing that. A strong church in today's culture and society has five things in common with the churches that Paul built in the first century. And that, that are these five things. Strong churches challenge, challenge the evils that exist in society. Uh, number two, strong churches use the culture to reach the culture. Strong churches grow and make no excuse for their growth. Strong churches know that the mission of Christ is the ministry of the church. Strong churches prepare themselves to suffer for the gospel. And so we're going to go through those five here this morning. And we're going to start with the first one, strong churches challenge the evils of society. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that there is evil, a spiritual darkness, bad juju, or whatever you want to call it, in St. John's, in the community of St. John's, in Clinton County, in our local area? You can, it can be a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it out loud. Does evil exist in our community here in any form? Do people live and act in ways that is contrary to the ways that God would have us live? Speaking for myself only, because that's the only person I can speak for, I have experienced or seen evil in the St. John's community expressed. I'll be honest about it, I have. I've seen uh, racism, sexism, discrimination, neglect, abuse, all kinds of darknesses expressed here in the community. How do we respond as a church? What do we do? Because a strong church, a biblically-minded strong church, challenges the evils of society. But they do it in a specific way. And Paul gives us uh, some guidance and acts on how we are called to respond to those evils in society. And so to find out, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 16 uh, to get some guidance. And so we're going to pick it up in Acts 16, verse 16. One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell us how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exacerbated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. And their teaching and customs are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. So there's two things to notice in this passage. The first is that Paul focuses on the spiritual issue before dealing with the physical injustice that's taking place. The second is that even though it caused Paul and Silas significant risk, Paul waited until the time was right to deal with it, to heal the girl. There was a spiritual issue taking place, and there was a social justice issue taking place. 
The spiritual issue was there's a girl possessed by a demon. There's a spiritual issue. There's a social justice issue taking place. There were men profiteering off of a person who was spiritually having a crisis. Spiritual problems, social justice issues. The key to remember is that the spiritual battle comes first. The social justice component comes second. There's two sides of the same coin. They go together as people of faith. We're called to do both. You can't have one without the other. Paul healed the girl spiritually first and then called out the community on the evil that they inflicted, regardless of the consequences. We have to understand that first that social justice is the byproduct of spiritual works. And then realize that genuine social justice comes with truly harsh consequences. It's not a glamorous endeavor as many make it out to be in our culture today. And if someone makes it out to be a glorious endeavor, it's probably not true social justice. When I was a young boy, my first pastor that I had, like two three years old, four years old, when, when I joined the church, when my parents brought me to church. Her name was Pastor Betty Doby. She lived in the parsonage two blocks up the hill from the, uh, from the, from the downtown bar in the small town. In the late 1980s, the demon, the spiritual demon that our small town um, dealt with was a drug ring. Pastor Betty worked in the community and prayed and organized a, an intense spiritual battle in the community, and, um, but the drug ring's hold was very strong in the 80s on our community. But when the time was right, she started going to the bar, and she ended up building a case against the drug ring, and she built a profile on all of the organizers in the community and the entire drug ring. She documented everyone, and when the time was right, with the help of the local police, she and the police brought down the entire organized drug ring in our community. But just as Paul experienced, the local economy was greatly influenced by the social injustice that was taking place, by the spiritual demon that was taking place in the community. And when the death threats started coming to Pastor Betty, the district superintendent quickly had to reappoint our pastor. Because there's one thing drug dealers don't necessarily like is Christian people getting in the way of their distributing rings and sending their distributors to jail. Pastor Betty left pretty quick. We were a strong church that challenged the evils of society. I was like four years old. I can't claim any credit for any of that. But there were significant consequences to challenging the evils of society. But when the time was right, Pastor Betty acted. But the spiritual battle came first, and the social justice action came second. It would be so easy for us as a church to just jump into a social justice issue like McDonald's straws, we got to get on board. Let's go do it, you know, like, and put that physical thing up front. 
But that's not what we're called to do, and that's not what the Bible calls us to do, because we're called to put the spiritual issue first and then deal with the social justice issue second. That's what God has called us to do scripturally as the body of Christ. And if we're going to change the world by changing this community in St. John's and challenge the evils of society, we have to do it in the right order. Challenge the spiritual problems first and wait until the time is right and then confront the justice issues. Strong churches challenge the evils of society, but we have to do it in the right way. The second thing that strong churches do that Paul's uh, missionary churches teach us that we can take today into our culture is that strong churches use the culture to reach the culture. And this ties back right back to last week where we are talking about um, using the culture. And so I'm just going to just pop into Acts 17 for a moment that says, So Paul, standing before the council, addressing them as follows, Men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way, for I was walking along and I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription to an unknown god. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. Now, the, the, Paul understood the importance of learning the culture of the people that he was talking to. He took the time to walk through the city and use one cultural clue, one clue in the culture, to connect people with the reality of the triune God. Now, the worship experience that we're creating for new people, it, it has to reflect the culture of the St. John's Culture. Culture of the St. John's culture. You understand, I know. But the reason it needs to connect is so that the people who are coming are comfortable enough to hear the gospel message. It's not so that we water down the gospel. That's not the point. The point is so that people are comfortable enough to hear the message proclaimed. Hopefully over this last year, you know that I'm not the kind of person to water down the gospel. That's not in my character. That's not going to happen. However, the style and, and the way it's presented changes so that the unchurched, the non-churched, the de-churched, the nuns and the duns can be comfortable enough to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope that he brings. But it's not just about a new worship service. That's not what it's about. It's, it's also about this service. Because if, if, if we're going to grow, if God is going to do what, what I believe and I believe we believe God is going to do in this place and what God has called us to do, it's not just going to be the new service that launches, that grows. If God is going to grow in this place, he's going to grow in this place. Across the board. This service doesn't just stay the way it is, and then all the growth happens over here on the sidelines. This service would be growing too. Because if God moves in the church, God moves in the church. Which means both services grow. So this classic or traditional or, or whatever you want to call this service at 9.30 will continue to evolve as well to meet the cultural needs of this community as well. Because it's not just about millennials and Gen Xers and XYZs or whatever you want to call them. It's about boomers and, and this generation and the needs of traditional worship as well. Did you know that the 815 traditional service in DeWitt is growing at the same rate as the modern service in DeWitt? And so we pour just as much energy into that service some weeks, not all weeks, depending on what's going on. 
When God moves in the church, God moves in the church. It's about growing and following God's leading. And so it's not just about one and not the other. It's about reach, realizing what God is doing across the board. So we have to continue to adapt and use the culture to reach the culture, whether it be baby boomers, millennials, or Gen XYZs. Our third strong church model that we learned from Paul is that strong churches grow and make no excuse for their growth. And this one's hard sometimes because when we live in a family church model, that you know we're a, we're a family and we're a small, close-knit community, when we talk about growth, it can be it can be challenging because growing means we might not know everybody. But the point is not knowing everybody. The point is everybody knowing Christ. So I want to give you a few verses from Acts that we've read over these last eight weeks. Acts 2, 47. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Acts 5, 14. And more and more people believed and they were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. Acts 6, 1, and the believers rapidly multiplied. Acts 6, 7, so God's message continued to spread and the number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jews, Jewish priests were converted too. Acts 9, 31, the church then had peace and with encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Acts 11, 21, the power of the Lord was with them and the large number of the Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Acts 11, 24, and many people were brought to the Lord. Acts 16, 5, so the church churches were strengthened in their faith and they grew larger each and every day. There are countless other passages in Acts that say the same thing, and I hope you hear the point. God's expectation of the church is that it would grow and that the good news and the hope of Christ would be shared with other people. And we're not going to get big merely to become notable or for the sake of being big. It's not the point. We're going to accomplish it because it's the mandate Christ places on all of us. To follow him and make disciples and see the world transformed. And we hear that calling from Christ from, from his very first words of invitation. The very first chapter of Mark. One day Jesus is walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing their nets into the water because they were fishermen. And Jesus called to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fish for people and they left their nets and they followed him it's time to join peter andrew james and john the sons of zebedee and follow jesus along the lake shore and fish for people randy travis has a great song keep your lure in the water i don't know if you ever heard that song i used to sing that song all the time if you haven't heard it you should look it up The fourth strong church model is that strong churches know that the mission of Christ is the ministry of the church. If we're faithful to the gospel, most of our ministries will have an outward focus. Most of our ministries will have an outward focus. Remember, it's two sides of the same coin. Outward focus and then growing together in unity. It takes both. Our success will not be gauged on how many people are sitting in worship on Sunday. Our success is not going to be gauged on how many people are sitting in worship on Sunday. And I know that sounds counterintuitive to some of the things that we've said so far. But worship attendance, and you know this as well as I do, worship attendance does not necessarily mean spiritual growth. 
You can go to church every day of your life, and that doesn't make you a good Christian. We know this. Our metric for success is going to be different going into year two. Our metric of success will be how many adult baptisms we have. Our metric of success will be how many recommitments of faith we see. We will track how many missionaries we produce and send out into the world. We're going to see, we're going to count how many members count their primary ministry field as being their workplace, their school, their family, their community engagements. Those are the things that we want to track. Those are the things that are most important if we're going to see the community transformed. And this means that our mission is not about how big we become. It means that our mission is about growing people who will transform the St. John's community. Our goal is to do that, to see that out. And I believe it's a goal worth sacrificing for. It's a goal worth coming into church early and cleaning the toilets for. Number five, strong churches prepare themselves to suffer for the gospel. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake. And the, prisoner, and the prison was shaked, shaken to its foundations. And all the doors immediately flew open. And the chains of every prisoner fell off. And the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, and so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here! The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. And even that, at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And he and everyone in the household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Paul was persecuted and, and jailed and beaten many times in his life. But this, this event, this event takes place after the, the healing of the demon-possessed girl in that social justice event that we just read about previously. This, this event stands out to me because Paul and Silas, Silas they're, they're in prison, they're, they're waiting to be sentenced for healing a girl and doing social justice work in the community. And they've suffered for it. And they're singing hymns and praising God, and the other prisoners are listening. But they've suffered. You see, suffering isn't always what it appears to be, is it? Sometimes suffering is the beginning of salvation. Interestingly, Paul is not surprised by the jailer's response. The jailer responds by wanting to know what it means to be saved. 
Now, we shouldn't be surprised either when someone responds in a positive way to our witness in their life. Because God has got this plan that he's working out in the world with or without us. Suffering is a part of the faithful church life. And that's the path that we choose when we choose a life of faith. We don't like to talk about that reality, but it truly is. Recall Jesus' words from Luke 9, 23, if, you, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Following Christ's plan has always meant directing ourselves towards the cross. And the cross is, is kind of the epitome of suffering. But it's also the place of redemption. It's the place of hope. It's the place of pure and great love. It's both and. The book of Acts concludes with these words. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. You see, Paul was under house arrest in Rome. And yet he still witnessed to the world his door was always open, just like ours would be, as long as we can keep it open. Acts ends abruptly, with no hint of what happens to Paul next, just that he's going to continue his mission. I'd love to know what the end of the story is, but the author has done what, what the author has set out to do. He, he, he set out to show the movement of Christianity to the corners of the known world in the 30-year time span that it happened. But the author couldn't finish the story because, as we know, the gospel didn't make it to the ends of the earth because we still have our part to play. Our chapter has yet to be written. So from now on, we're going to do our part to finish the story. And I think what an excellent opportunity it is for us to continue writing the story to continue writing our story. We've been writing it for years, and we're going to continue writing it. We get to be a part of God's life-changing movement in the world right here in St. John's. And all we have to do is tell our story of Jesus to those around us, on this campus, in our community and relationships, and carry it and let it be carried to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. God of all things, you have called us to a mighty mission in this place. We open ourselves to your Holy Spirit, Lord, and we ask that you would empower us to be your witnesses, first to this campus community and then to the St. John's neighborhood, then to the marginalized and, and on to the ends of the earth. We seek only to build your kingdom in this place. From this day forward, Lord, we, we, our single desire is to serve you faithfully in all that we do. The past is behind us and your future is before us. 
a new day rises for your church and we are ready to walk with you in your mission field. Guide us, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior, that we pray. And everyone said,